Hello, my friends. Skip here. December 15th, 8.28 a.m. I uh, <clears throat> don't have to go to work until 11.45 this morning. I am teaching a uh, special education class. Uh, so, no, uh, no giant hurry this morning, but I... Uh, Wanted to give a podcast to get my shower done. You will hear in the background whining. And what that is, is our new puppy, uh, Coco. Coco is a, a miniature red poodle. The cutest thing you'd ever want to see, but really whiny. So right now he's chewing on my pant leg. So if you hear a whimper, it's not me. It's Coco. Uh, so we are in the middle of a transition in our life. Small one, but still nevertheless a transition. Wanted to uh, do part two of questions today. Uh, as I said in my last podcast, my, my dear friend, uh, Matt, a listener to the podcast, uh, texted me a few days ago with a fairly long list of questions. Uh, that he would like addressed via the podcast, which is cool because, you know, uh, it always helps me to try to think of things from a different perspective. So uh, sitting here in front of my uh, ultraviolet light, trying to get my brain awake and going, and I thought I'd tackle a couple of those questions that were sent to me. Um, I'm going to try to sort of make one big question out of it. And, and some of the questions I received were about, you know, uh, can transformation happen collectively? Sort of what I'm getting at here with some of the questions. One of the questions was that, that my friend sent, are there examples in history of, of societies or groups of people waking up or becoming self-aware uh, of their own authenticity? Um, tough questions, and they really made me think, and, and, and that's good, but uh, I want to try to address some of those questions. So if the question is, you know, is it possible for us to collectively wake up, collectively uncover our authenticity. I have been racking my brain to think about movements or countries or societies that could have. And, and here is where I've come down. You know, you've heard me say it before. Uh, enlightenment or uh, self-realization, finding one's authenticity, the spiritual journey, I'm convinced is an individual thing. And it must happen on an individual basis because as far as I can tell, and, you know, trust me, my, my knowledge is limited. As far as I can tell, the only way people can, as groups, uncover their own authenticity, come to self-realization, come to... Uh, 
see the world for what it is and then live out of love is individually. Now, there have been, I think, some noble attempts to collectively do this, but I will tell you that uh, although they can maybe help the way things are, and, and I'll get to that in a second, they will never, collectively, we can't form a group to say, here's what it means. You know, we can't, you know, as far as I know, the further down this path I go, we can't form a religion called finding meaning and make a structure out of it and have it, you know, like free people. Because something happens to us. Each individual is in their own unique place. As far as I can tell, no two people are ever in the same place spiritually. And because of that, because you have people in different degrees of, of understanding, different places on their spiritual journey, different movements in their uncovering of their authentic self, it's not possible to form some sort of society or group. I'm going to give you some examples of what I mean here. Uh, I, I think the first example I probably should talk about is, is Christianity. Now, I've said this before. I, I will reiterate it. This podcast is not a religious thing. Uh, I am not a religious person. No longer. For years, I lived out of uh, the comings and goings of religion. I met great people, met some not so great people. But what I found out in my religious experience was that, again, everyone's at a different place spiritually. But when we put an institution or a collective or a society ahead <coughs> of our spiritual quest, in other words, when we say that the institution is the spiritual journey, the society or the culture is the spiritual thing, we lose that individual work. And I'm convinced that the only spiritual journey that can be made is individually. So when we lose that, that individuality in our spiritual work, we lose the spiritual work. And when we begin to insist that people take, people take vows or people be baptized or people belong to this or adhere to that, what we do is we take away, for the most part, maybe for the whole thing, the whole part, we take away the, the way the universe can work through things to bring us to ourself. And we make the institution the more important thing. Let me give you an example. Uh, i got to let my cat downstairs. It, during World War II, uh, the Catholic Church, in order to preserve its institutional self, <laughs> 
really did not confront the anti-Semitism and hatred of the Nazis. Now, there were some very powerful stories of Christians hiding people individually, but collectively, uh, the churches, the powers that be, the, the, the churches in Germany, uh, all went along to get along, if you will, to preserve themselves. They, they rationalized somehow that the preservation of the institution superseded uh, the sort of slaughter that was going on. That's an extreme example, I know, but I will tell you folks, in, in more less significant and smaller ways, I saw that play out. I, I, I saw people, uh, am I, you'll hear our dog whimper. It's all right, Coco. Uh, yeah, I, the preservation of the institution will often supersede the seeking of justice or the the helping of other people or the serving of other humans. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm attending to animals as we're speaking here. Uh, go, you know, please feel free to do your own research around that. Uh, there's lots of well-documented evidence where the individuals would stand up, but collectively the... The uh, institutional aspect of religion would ignore you know, things like the Holocaust. I'll just say it that way. That's about as blunt as I can. Now, that's an extreme example. Uh, you know, the, when the Christian movement started after... And Jesus came, and I, I even convinced Jesus was an authentic human. And he taught authenticity, you know, love your neighbor, love your enemy, do good. Uh, don't ask for anything in return. You'll hear Coco, I have him on my lap. Um, I wish you could see a picture of him, he's just cute as all get out. Uh, they tried to form a, an institution, a, a church. And uh, within a generation of the death of Jesus, that was pretty much just part of the world. It had its own hierarchy. It's had its own dualism. You know, Jesus would teach things like, uh, do good to those who persecute you. And within a generation or two uh, or three, the Christians in many ways began to persecute people themselves. And... I'm not trying to point fingers or blame. What I'm saying is that because we have spent an entire, the, the entire human experience, entire human history, building this facade, this false reality, that what happens when we try to institutionalize is that in order for the institution to preserve itself, it must become a part of that false reality. <clears throat> That's why I'm convinced it's only individually that true spirituality can happen. Uh, 
Now, as I have said in prior podcasts, I don't think there's a darn thing wrong with finding support, with having a community to rely on, with having a community to um, share with. Uh, If you want to incorporate some sacraments and some worship into that, that's your call. Uh, But you have to see that for what it is and what it is not. And one of the great lessons I've learned when it came to religion is religion can be a place of support and community, but it cannot be a place where spirituality takes its full flower, has its full flower, has its full expression. Because ultimately, you'll hear the cat. I got all kinds of animals all over the place here. You'll ultimately, the need to fix the building or to buy carpet or to have the proper ritual or the proper doctrine that will supersede and interfere and stifle, truncate, if you will, the things that bring us through to spiritual growth. Let me give you another example. For years, I participated in 12-step programs. Highly recommend them. If you are suffering from addiction, it is one way that you can deal with that. found wonderful people in the 12-step program, but I also found the same sort of uh, ethos, this, this idea that there's a, there's a few people. And there was the people who had the most sober time, right? Those people who had 20 or 30 years of sobriety were the kings. They were the seniors in high school kind of thing. And uh, there was this hierarchical thing where you received a, a badge, uh, a key ring, uh, what have you, for every day sober, which is great. I mean, they saved my life. Do not get me wrong. But it's still a part of that same notion of hierarchy, of hierarchical thinking, of separation. And so I think the greatest example that it doesn't work is the world we live in. Look at, my friends, the world we live in. Does it look like any of these things we've tried collectively has brought us closer to love? Now, there are some examples, I think, where people came into, uh, or, or religion came into the world and it helped. I mean, the civil rights movement of the 60s, I think, is the best example where the black church from the South uh, engaged in justice-seeking. But if you, if you go back and you read uh, the writings of like Dr. King's letters from the Birmingham jail, things like that, you're not going to see dogma and doctrine. You're going to see addressing an issue. And it may be that that's what these organizations are good at. Know, feeding people, seeking justice in the matrix, in the false reality for, for those. I mean, don't get me wrong. There very well may be a place it is for, for community to address the world. 
But what it did not do is it did not enlighten the world to the point where it lives out of its authenticity. It, it, it changed some rules. It addressed a gross injustice that we still deal with. But as far as I can tell, there are no examples where a collective group of people have come to the realization of their own authenticity and, and lived that way. But there are many examples of individuals who have. So, you know, I'd like to say that, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if we could all just live out of love? But one of the things I try to do in this podcast is keep it absolutely real. And the reality is this, that I turned on the TV this morning. People are killing each other in the Middle East. People are killing each other in Europe. Uh, The politics that we now practice are something I never thought I'd see in my life. Uh, I go to work every day and I see kids who have been at the very least emotionally neglected because their parents were emotionally neglected because their parents were. I see religious people making claims all the time about how their version of reality is better than the others, etc., etc. There's hope. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to leave you hopeless. But the hope, and this is going to sound silly, but I'm going to say it. The hope is really in your kindness, my friends. The more we can help others, the more we can live out of sympathy and empathy and compassion with boundaries for ourselves. Don't get me wrong. You can't expend yourself completely. The more we live out of that kindness, I think that's how we transform the world one person at a time, beginning with you. Anyway, there you have it. Thanks for your time. Uh, I hope this answered some of the questions. And I'll talk to you real soon. Bye-bye.